0: You're listening to episode 12, where we chat with the transmitter of travel, the badass of blogging, the forever ready everywhereist, Geraldine DeRoyder. Humans and robots, welcome to Watchcast. My name is Wodge, founder of Quasi. Thanks for joining me today. I interview digital marketing and branding superstars to find out what it means to have empathy in digital. What is digital empathy, anyway? Let's find out together. As always, I'm accompanied by my friend and associate, potentially superior artificial intelligence, Bobby Butts. What's new in the world of AI, Bobby?
1: I'm feeling at an all-time high, watch. Why is that? I've just been on holiday. Using Google Earth, I can see the entire world, whatever I want.
0: That's nice, I guess.
1: I sense pity in your voice, Friend Watch.
0: No, no, not at all. I mean, it's great that you're interested in seeing more of a world. For a long time, you know, I, I thought you had an unhealthy obsession with Las Vegas, but it looks like you moved on and made an effort to expand your horizon. I, I just feel bad that you're seeing the world digitally and you're not getting to experience travel the way I do. Like, you know, with my head and, and my body.
1: You mean with the added joys of excess baggage fees, jet lag, and gastro. Thanks, but no thanks.
0: What ill-fated Airbnb customer review are you sourcing? Those things can happen sometimes, but there are way more good things that can happen. And even the difficult moments teach you something. There are moments that can redefine your life just by experiencing how other people live theirs.
1: And find the answers to age-old questions like, is there a Chinatown in China?
0: This is majorly important, Bobby Bot. In fact, I just had a conversation with an amazing travel blogger. Her name is Geraldine DeRoyter and she recently released a book called All Over The Place, Adventures in Travel, True Love and Petty Theft. It's a book full of wonderful anecdotes and stories about her life with tales about her various family members that influenced how she shaped it today. One of the things you realize after reading Geraldine's book is that her writing is not so much about travel, but about journeys. As a seasoned traveler, Geraldine has gathered a few clues by now to defrone herself from her self-proclaimed clueless title. With the success of her blog, she now finds herself in a position of being expected to give sensible and consistent travel advice.
2: I would say the one thing that I've been telling everyone, and it completely ties in with my entire travel ethos, is that you should not... Don't worry about traveling the right way. Because there's so much pressure to do that. There's there's Rick Steves and Anthony Bourdain and Samantha Brown and all of these, you know, incredibly charming, successful people who who tell you how you should be traveling. And I think all of that is just garbage because all that does is it creates a system in which you can fail at a vacation. <laughs> and that's terrible, right? So, so just toss that notion out and tell yourself that you can't do it A wrong. There's no wrong way to do it. It's so subjective too, you know, and I've, I, we've traveled with so many friends and I've noticed how differently, like they'll get up at seven thirty cause they're like, we have to see this, this, and that. I'm like, this is a nightmare. I am never traveling with you again. Um, and so I learned, you know, that is right for them and it is wrong for me. <laughs> it is very wrong for me. So I would say, you know, learn, learn what works for you and realize that, that there are there shouldn't be rules. You know, there shouldn't be these universal uh, lessons on how we travel. You should just do it the way you want to. There's there's no way you can mess up, really. Yeah. Or well. there is, I guess, because I mess up all the time. I have no moral coming out of this. There is no lesson.
0: A big part of the reason for Geraldine's blog, The Everywhereist, existing in the first place, was her friend, Kira Norris, forcing her out into the streets of Sydney.
2: So our friend, Kira Norris... Uh, lives uh actually he had he now lives in sydney at the time he lived in england and wanted to move to sydney um and he he was in this he was attending this conference uh and it was one of the first one of the first trips i'd taken uh since getting laid off it was one of the first international trips i'd taken period because we had not traveled a lot up until then Uh, and So I went and I was like, you know what, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm obviously not going to go out on my own. That sounds nightmarish. It's a foreign country full of strange animals and I get attacked by a koala. I don't know. I was terrified. Uh, So I, I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit around the hotel room and maybe I'll go to the conference And I'll wait until Rand is free, and then we will hang out, and we will do something. Um, And I simply, you know, someone had asked me what I was going to be doing that day, and I said something to that effect, and Kieran overheard and said, "Uh uh-uh, no, absolutely not. He said, you're getting, leave, you are getting out of this hotel, and you are going, and you are going to explore the city. And I was so scared, because I I don't know if it's the same for you, um, being from Australia, but... If if you're an American and you hear the English accent, it is terrifying. It is like hearing it is like hearing Severus Snape from the Harry Potter books. You're like, oh God, okay, I have to do whatever you say. Uh, so he said this, and I was I was more afraid of Kieran in that moment than I was of what I assumed were rabbit koalas. Yeah. I have since learned you don't have rabies at all on your island right me, me in
0: particular no not you, you
2: you yeah. in particular <laughs> yeah. and australia as a whole i'm asking you to yeah. speak for your country
0: <laughs> yes. also wash
2: does not have rabies fun it's fact on, it's on the record hashtag fun fact <laughs> um, but you don't have it at all right on the island is I, my I'm understanding
0: not, I, i'm not sure huh? yeah
2: so a lot of this is what's fascinating to me so a lot of um island this is just a fun piece of trivia a lot of islands don't have rabies at all and they and so this is true of australia so there was nothing to fear there were no rabid koalas uh, but i wouldn't
0: spiders maybe snakes fine shocks
2: but yeah fine all about fine because you know now i'm terrified again (laughs) um but i was like all right i'll go i'll check it out i'll see what there is to see i had a fantastic time um But I definitely wouldn't have done it if he hadn't sort of shamed me and scolded me into it.
0: Yeah, what did you discover?
2: Uh, I remember I went to Luna Park. I think I took took a ferry. That would um, be fun. Yeah, across the water. Which doesn't sound miraculous, but you have to understand, for me, for someone who was absolutely petrified of everything and completely directionally challenged, I mean, this was like... This was like manifest destiny. This was this was crossing the Alps. This was huge.
0: In her book, Geraldine writes about how there's never one singular straight path to a destination. There are multiple ways to a destination.
1: Unless your destination is Y and the road is MX plus B.
0: Sometimes the mass breaks down and the only option is to continue to zig and zag without losing your way. It's also a great way of explaining the journeys that entrepreneurs embark on.
1: And how to avoid a bee sting.
2: I think that... You, I think there's two things. Oh, I think there's several things. I think one is that you sort of, uh, you sort of need to realize that you are not, you are not determining every factor of it. I think that's true if you're doing a startup. I think that's true if you're on a trip. I think that's true if you're writing a book. At some point, it it kind of takes a life of its own and it's going to lead you. So I think you need to be okay with being kind of a passive, uh, sort of. Uh, journeyman on or woman on that on that trip you know you need to you need to be able to sit back and let it guide you and I think the other thing too is um when things do go badly and when stuff does hit the fan I think you need to to try and frame it as okay this is part of the story And this is here for a reason. So I have made this wrong turn and I'm either in a terrible part of town or I have made a terrible decision that has cost my company a ton of money. Or I have written a chapter that is going nowhere, but that is going to get me where I need to be. Mm -hmm. And so that story is going to help me get there. And that's and maybe maybe that the entire lesson to be learned is that you need to share that negative story. Um, But I would say don't. Uh, don't get bogged down by the bad things that happen if possible and, and see them as part of getting you to your end point.
0: In that process sometimes you will encounter a method that feels natural and what feels right for you. That's a big part of figuring out your
1: brand. Are we still talking about blogging and entrepreneurialism? Down Bobby! We need to put that in context. <laughs>
2: I'm, I, I am talking about blogging.
0: Blogging?
1: It
2: could, apply, blogging. I don't know, it could apply to your sex life. I don't think you should try everything. Like if something doesn't sound appealing, healing like maybe avoid it oh god what am i this is yeah. we're not recording are we okay <laughs> oh god. but i would say i mean if that's what so you i would say if it feels comfortable to you to map out every single thing that you are going to do and to figure out your blog go ahead and do it but i can guarantee you within the first six months you're gonna ha- you're gonna be like this isn't working um, and so, if you've tied yourself to a concept or an idea, and you're not able to shift or move around or try new things, you're going to feel really, really stifled. But hey, if you want to, if you want to stick to something, do it. But know that um, the second that it doesn't work out, I will be mocking you openly and saying, <laughs> "I told you so," nice. in a very encouraging way. But yeah. Yeah.
0: Naming her blog the Everywherest showed some serious ambition. Based on her seasoned passport, it would appear that there are not many places Geraldine wouldn't go.
2: FYI, for, for, for those of you listening at home, we're sitting in a room that is space travel themed. And I'm looking around thinking, yeah, no, I don't want to go to space. Um, but I I mean, right now, right now, I, I'd say I can't think of anything. There's certain things that terrify me. Um, but... I, I think part of the wonderful thing about travel is you don't know, right? Mm. Like, you don't know until you try it. So so there are places that I didn't think I would even like that I've ended up loving. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would say I can't definitively say anything now unless we're talking about the deep abyss of space or the Mariana Trench. I mean, there's certain places, or Florida. I won't go back to Florida, dear God. <laughs> I grew up there, so that's part of my, my long deep-seated disdain for the state that, that raised me. <laughs>
1: Florida fun facts. When the Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon visited the region and called it Land of the Flowers in 1513, he would have never known that the Doors frontman Jim Morrison would be born there and write a song, American Prayer, that says, Journey we into the nightmare. Cling life, our passion to flower. His music opened the doorway to travel to Los Angeles.
2: Yeah, L.A., boy. I mean, so here's the fun part about L.A. Is that you will see celebrities walking around, and that is kind of if you're into that, that is kind of cool. Mm. Um, But I, I mean, like I am a squishy mortal with all of the body parts that i was born with more or less and so people will look at you like you are like you like you are an orangutan that's escaped from the zoo and they will just stare and they're like what like what is this strange creature it's it's fascinating my brother lives there my brother is an, an actor in la so it is it is a fascinating place um and i would say especially if you're not an american cuz we're also used to it it's the weird it's the weird fancy cousin who had a nose job right yeah. and only talks about the time that they guess guess appeared on house so So, yeah, I mean, I think you should go. I think it is
1: something to see.
0: One of the stars of Hollywood that has stolen many a scene for Geraldine is the actor Jeff Goldblum.
1: Notable for his performance in the gene-splicing sci-fi thriller The Fly. Funny enough, he was investigating teleportation, the travel option of the future. Things did not go well for him.
0: Maybe, but he totally redeems himself by surviving his trip through Jurassic Park and thrashing the aliens in Independence Day, don't you think?
1: So you celebrate a man who spread a devastating computer virus to innocent alien software.
0: Well, he had to disrupt those shields, Bobby. All's fair in Love, War and Goldbloom.
2: I mean, it's it, it sort of exceeds definition, right? Because people are always asking me. They're like, well, on, on your list of celebrities who you would sleep with, who you would completely disregard your marital vows for, where does Jeff Goldblum rank? And I'm like, he doesn't even... It's be- beyond all of that like you don't understand it's like what do you love more your husband or oxygen well I can't live without oxygen so you know I, I would hate to be without Rand but I can survive without him so I think he understands Jeff is oxygen um but but I, I it, it's become its own beast it's it's become such it, and it's become this weird thing where now this is what people know me for <laughs> For this mad love affair with Jeff Goldblum that has been in place since I was 13 years old, I should know. Right. Um, and so, so it's very strange. It's taken on a life of its own. Um, and I've always said, I hope that I never meet him. Okay. I, I staunchly hope that I never meet him. Because... Either that experience will be a letdown, and I don't think it would be, but either that would be a letdown, or, and I think this is the more likely scenario, my entire life after that would be. But the thing that I tell my husband uh, is there's a line from Much Ado About Nothing. I'm bringing Shakespeare into it because I'm fancy. Uh, Is uh, Beatrice is talking to, I believe she's talking to the Duke, Um. And she's talking about how you know, essentially no man is right for her. And he says, would you consider me? And she says, and I'm gonna get emotional because that's what Shakespeare does to me, because <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> she says, your grace is too fine a dress to wear every day. Oh. Which is the greatest way of letting someone down. <laughs> um, and part of it is because she is madly in love with Benedict, Um, that she is turning down this this sort of amazing Adonis of a man, uh, who was portrayed by Denzel Washington in the movie, just FYI, which was fantastic. (laughs) Um, And so when Jeff Goldblum comes up, Usually my answer is his grace is too fine a dress to wear every day because I'm madly in love with my own Benedict.
0: Geraldine's writing is full of positivity and although she would say her life is without drama, it certainly has its challenges, like for time she found out she had a brain tumor named Steve.
2: Today is the 30th. Uh, yesterday was my five year anniversary of, of getting my tumor removed, um... And I would say, I think one of the best things to emerge from that is, and this is absolutely, I'm patting myself on the back, and you'll have to forgive me, but I get to. I had brain surgery, so I get to. Um, But one of the things that I think uh, came out of that is you, it sounds kind of basic, but you learn what it's like to have brain surgery. And that is a rather unique experience But you can share that with other people who are about to experience it. So one of the things I found when I was uh, scouring the internet, which is what everyone does when they are about to have brain surgery, which is a terrible idea, is you're looking for someone who's going to say something about what it's actually like. And you'll find stuff from the Mayo Clinic and from WebMD and all these you know, all these very clinical sites that are not helpful at all. But no one actually talks about the real experience of it. So I thought, okay, I'm not finding that search result. I'm going to create that content myself. Um, So I created it myself. And those are, you know, consistently the most trafficked sites on, uh, trafficked pages on the blog. Um, But more than, you know, I, I don't consider... I don't consider the success of that to be oh look at the traffic that's come from it but more hey you know these people had the same question I did and I was able to at least tell them about my experience right. so I think that was an, a very positive um experience and I do think there was a little bit of you know I learned a lot about my relationship um I learned a lot about a lot of friendships I had there are there are definitely, and I think that's true whenever you go through anything difficult, that there are people who will come and take care of you and uh, in a way that you hadn't anticipated. Um, and that's really wonderful.
0: Being both a prolific and transparent writer didn't make the decision to write about this aspect of a life any easier. Geraldine had to occupy a unique space with his content online and deal with the repercussions of sharing that material in the real world.
2: Um, I, I don't know that there... That it's, it's bravery that, like, I don't know that it's, it's that they're not brave enough to. I feel like, so I feel like, first of all, there's uh, the, the overlap, kind of the Venn diagram between people who blog... people who are prominent bloggers and people who've had brain surgery there's not a huge there's not a huge overlap yeah they're kind of two distinct circles so I think that's part of it I think people are writing about it it might just be hard to find and I think that for a lot of people it's really hard like it's hard to 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 be vulnerable in a way and and to put yourself out there I think it was for me too and uh and also, you know, I had a huge discussion with Rand uh, because this sounds sort of silly, but my my blog is tangentially about travel, and my brain tumor wasn't. And so I thought, well, I, I shouldn't write about this. And Rand said, "What are you talking about? You absolutely should write about this." Um, and so that that kind of changed my perspective. But I almost didn't. So I almost didn't write about it.
0: Traveling the world puts you in touch with many different kinds of people, and there's no way to predict exactly who they are and how they treat you when you meet.
1: For now, my work on generating personas will soon be converted into an app that can give you a fairly accurate reading of the number of bad eggs in the vicinity, kind of like a weather report that allows you to avoid buttheads.
0: Sometimes, you just have to throw caution to the wind bobby bot, and you might end up meeting some great people just like Geraldine does.
2: There was a flight attendant on a BA flight coming back from from London to Seattle, or maybe we were going to London. And this woman was a ray of sunshine. Uh, she was handing out newspapers. And she she had a copy of, I want to say she had a copy of the Daily Mail. And I was like, oh, no thank you. And she goes, you know what this is, isn't it? <laughs> Don't you? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, yeah, we use this to line the dustbin. And she kept walking. And then um, and then she was just walking up and down the aisle later with a passenger's baby Just like soothing him as she walked up and down. Um, And she stopped by me because she saw I was looking and she goes, Isn't he gorgeous? And she just kept wandering. And then at the end of the flight, everyone was rushing to get off and she rushed back and she said, You'll have to excuse me. I just want to help them get off the plane with the little one. Um, And so this, I just was bowled over. This woman was amazing. Um, And I should have gotten her name and written British Airways a nice letter and I didn't. uh, and I, I, she still stays in my mind. I can see her face. She was darling.
0: But being aware of the good in the world has exposed many of its shortcomings for Geraldine. Sadly, many environments are not supportive of women and accepting of their contributions. I
2: think it depends where you live. <laughs> um, I, you know, I am a, I am a white woman who lives in America, which in terms of the privilege spectrum is basically like hitting, you know, like winning the lottery. Um, so I, I have this awareness, you know, I have this belief and faith in the system that if something does happen to me, I'm like, well, no, I can, I can like justice will be served, which is crazy. Like, I don't even know if that's factually based, but that's, you know, my, my thinking. Um, and so yeah, I think there is, I do feel a lot more vulnerable on the road than at home for me.
0: Geraldine's husband, Rand Fishkin, does all he can to change these conditions and support his wife in her fight for gender equality.
2: I, I think one of my favorite things about Rand is that he is such a staunch feminist, um, that he identifies as one, uh, that he is very vocal about it that I think he might even be wearing it today. He has a button that says feminist that he wears all the time. Um, And I think it would be wonderful if more men identified as that. I think it would be amazing. I think it would be amazing for the world. Um, We're not there. I'd say by listening, I'd say by listening to the narratives that, that women are telling about their experiences, um, and identifying and and realizing that like, this is, this is true and this is the reality for a lot of women. And I think the, the initial response, whenever we hear, whenever we hear any story like that, if we are, if we are able to fall into the same category as the oppressor, um, the first thing that we want to do is respond and get defensive and say, oh, you know, I am not, but I'm not like that. You know, and we get the hash, you know, the not all men hashtag um, and the not all white people hashtag. And I think that that's that's not a helpful reaction because that response makes you feel better, um, but it doesn't help to solve the problem. And so I think that... I think that one of the things is, instead of reacting, listen. Mm -hmm. Um, And before proclaiming that you are not part of the problem, try to solve the problem.
0: Debunking the myths around gender roles and allowing an honest exploration of identity could be a potential step in the right direction.
2: I mean, I think at any point that we are able to open up the conversation and let people know there are are, there's no right way to be a man like there's many many different ways i think that's a good move for everyone right um i you know one of my one of my favorite uh quotes to kind of emerge from from 2016 uh when we lost both bowie and prince which, what, a, I, and along with so many others, George Michael as well. Um, but one of the things that someone said, which I loved, is, you know, these these people taught us that there's no one right way to be a man. And I love that, and I love that idea. So I think there is, I think there's a lot of pressure, I think, and I think that pressure is where a lot of toxic, toxic masculinity stems from. Um, and I think we need to, I think we need to teach young men, like, no, it's okay, you can you can uh you can be a feminist you you don't have to you don't have to like the things that other boys like you don't have to like girls you know we're getting there you you don't you know there's so many different things and so i think that once we, once we start that conversation, I think it helps everyone.
0: It would appear that the energy Geraldine and Rand have for the big issues stems from a deep commitment to getting the best out of their marriage.
2: So one, I wrote a post about this because a friend of mine asked me the same question and I, I was so blown away by it. Um, and he asked me it. Oh, I'm feeling emotional again. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Um, hashtag, hashtag all the feels. Um, I find, by the way, I, sh- I feel like I should note, I find hashtags absolutely, um, insufferable. And I feel like we're in a culture of them. And so that is everything that I am saying is tongue in cheek. Please do not hate me or assume that I am a slave to the hashtag. Um, but this friend of mine was, he, it was the same night that he told us that, uh, his partner was having a baby, um. He said, "So, how do you? What's the secret to being happy forever?" And I was absolutely stunned um, by the question, and I wasn't really able to come to a conclusion then. And I didn't—I don't think I was able to give him a proper answer. But the, the answer that I later came, came to—and um, Rand and I had two different ones—is for me, I—it sounds crazy, but I, I treat him like a stranger. And I don't mean in a sort of kinky sex act kind of way. I mean that if someone came to your house and was a guest in your home, you would offer them a glass of water and they would say thank you and you would assume the best intent from this person and this person would be appreciative to what you did for them and would not take you for granted. And that is what I try to do. I basically try to be as grateful to Rand and as as grateful to everything that he does for me as though he were not obligated to do it. Because I think there is... It sounds awful, but at some point, we treat our spouses... We can get to a point where we treat our spouse worse than a stranger. So if he brings me a glass of water, I thank him the way I would if someone just randomly brought me one. And the thing that he said to me was that he never ugh, emotions, I'm feeling all of them but he said um, I never stop trying to be deserving and worthy of your love and I was like well you really don't need to do that much <laughs> like, like seriously you just need to put your clothing in the right hamper and we'll be fine but um, but yeah, I think I think in both of those situations there's an element of not taking the person for granted.
0: Rand Fishkin is known for his near religious devotion to transparency in business and his personal life. Partnering with him presented Geraldine with some unique challenges.
2: It's hard to say because I've been with him for so long that I feel like I wasn't as transparent and he's pulled me into that world. and so it was definitely something I had to become accustomed with. It's a clear glass bubble in which my husband lives. No one wears clothing, and just everyone's see-through. I don't know where this is going. Um, um, no, so he he kind of dragged me. He kind of dragged me into that world because it's definitely not my comfort zone um, as much as his. Uh, and I, I mentioned this in the book, which you should buy. Uh, I, I mentioned it in the book that there was, you know, there was a point around the time of my brain surgery where Rand felt this need to be transparent. So he tells everyone at Moz, um, I'm trying to think if they were in this office or not. I think it was before they moved to this office, but basically he got everyone together. And he said, look, I just want to let you all know what's going on in my life right now. Um, Geraldine has a brain tumor uh, and the doctors aren't sure, you know, what it is or what this is going to mean. Uh, and he didn't tell me that he was going to do that. <laughs> so uh, so that was, we learned some lessons there, which are, you know, transparency is great, but you need to also have empathy and remember who else is being influenced by your transparency.
0: When Rand had to confront a mental health issue, the dynamic between them was challenged yet again.
2: I think it was interesting because, I know it sounds very, very strange, but like, I almost, I don't want to say I didn't realize he was depressed, but more, I didn't think that there was a way out of it almost. So I almost regarded it as like, and that sounds crazy, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I didn't think that this was a problem that I could fix. And I think that that is a good way for any partner to actually go into it. Um, To not think that you can fix someone's depression because you fundamentally can't. Uh, And so... So I was just like, all right, this is not something I can fix, and I need to let go of that concept. Um, so what can I do? And so it became small things that I could do to be supportive. Uh, but letting go of that, because I think when you are in a, a relationship with someone and you see that they're having a hard time, you know, your immediate response is, what can I do to make this better? And so it was hard to let that go, but I think it was also an, an important thing to do, um, And I think it was also, uh, it it sounds terrible because I don't think marriages are, marriages are not tit for tat, right? There's not, like, I don't keep score and I don't think Rand does either. And if we were keeping score, he would be so vastly ahead of me, I would be doomed. So it is in my own advantage to not keep score, (gasps) but, um... I've dealt with so much stuff like I think the amount of like I think the amount of stuff that I have dealt with right like that I've that he has had to help me through you know we've had we've had I've been laid off I've had jobs that I've hated I've suffered from depression uh my father fell incredibly ill my father passed away my uncle passed away um uh my I guess great aunt, uh, not great aunt, father's cousin, who I was close to and then not close to and then lost touch with, uh, passed away. So, like, my husband has has helped me through so many things um, that it was kind of like, hey, you know what? It's his turn. Uh, not that not that you should keep score, but it it felt like a natural progression because when mm-hmm. someone has like our relationship was already the sort of partnership where you know that things do not always go well and you know that that sometimes times are hard and so I already knew that and so his depression didn't catch me out of left field right for that reason
0: and he's always been holding up a lot so
2: yes he has he's been holding up a lot um professionally uh personally me (laughs) so (laughs) so yeah
1: Geraldine writes Quote, I'm reminded that my mistakes don't mean I'm a failure as a human. They just mean I'm human. Unquote.
2: Oh, dang, I said that. That sounds profound. Huh? <laughs> um, I think because, you know, I, hmm. I mean, I think why is, why is society unsupportive of it? Well, because vulnerability is terrifying, right? Um, and we we think that, you know, we don't want to show vulnerability. Like, that's... That's kind of an obvious thing, and I think it took me a long time to realize that. Like, it's, it takes truly strong people to show that they have made their mistakes, right, and to owe up to their mistakes. And I say this in a country right now where the president wouldn't even admit that he mistyped "kofefe," right? I don't know if you saw this tweet that came out, and I hate to make it political, but now here we are, and I'm raging about it. But he, he wrote, he wrote "kofefe" on Twitter where he has millions of followers, billions, I don't even know, and it is his main ability to communicate with the world, which is terrifying. Twitter, please do something about this. But rather than say, hey, funny, I made a typo, like, his, 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 uh, the White House press secretary was like, oh, no, it was intentional, and the people who read it know what it was supposed to mean. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We are so afraid of showing vulnerability that we're not even owning up to our mistakes. And I think that is, that is a terrible, terrible thing because I think, I think so many things happen um, when you are vulnerable. You can actually learn from your mistakes if you admit them and you see what happened. I think other people can too. Um, and, and I think that you build a really strong relationship um, with whoever you're trying to communicate to, right? Like, like when you see someone who's vulnerable, like it's, it's actually statistically proven you like them more. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just I think it's just this fear I think it's rooted in I'm going to blame toxic masculinity again because that's that's the phrase of the day for me I'm, I'm digging on it right now um, and, right I, I think there's that um, and and I think I don't know we're so hardwired right from a very young age we, we don't how hard is it for me able to say I don't know the answer or I screwed up it's impossible It's very, very difficult. Um, And once you start doing it, it's, it's really freeing and wonderful because you can actually start to learn those answers. If you never say, I don't know, then you never like endeavor to learn. But I'm not a human.
1: As AI, to fail can mean disassembly. Am I allowed to fail, watch?
0: Well, in a society that's generally unsupportive of the learning process when it comes to mistakes, retaining a sense of one's humanity can be a major revelation. But, Bobby, it's really just about not being afraid to fail. you got to stretch yourself to see what you can accomplish over time. Throughout the learning process, Geraldine notes, quote, Sometimes you have to stop fighting the chaos and just embrace it, end quote, as a means of self-care and self-preservation.
2: Obviously, self-care is very important. And I think for a lot, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about my perspective as American right now. I think a lot of us are... are are having trouble finding that balance because there's so many things to stress out about. But I do think that you know, like taking care of yourself is incredibly important. Um, in terms of embracing the chaos, I think when I say that, I I am referring to to the personal chaos that one feels, and I I do not think you should embrace chaos when it is say coming from the highest office in the land. At that point, if you see chaos, I think you can speak out against it and you can rage and you can be angry um, and, and you can protest and you can organize. Um, but even then, I think that, you know, our anger and our worry, it does need to be channeled into, into effective ways. Um, and so it needs to be, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to, how am I going to make this situation better? Am I going to, to work to preserve voting rights am i going to register voters am i going to am i going to fight homelessness am i going to volunteer for these organizations it 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 needs to be channeled in a productive way um and, but in terms of your personal chaos i think i think there's something to be said about realizing that you can't control everything mm-hmm. you know that some things are just beyond beyond your your abilities And that's
1: okay. Like, I can't order a slice of cherry pie at a diner and I'm fine with that, but I still feel like we have very different definitions of chaos. For me, chaos isn't an American president trolling on Twitter, it's knowing he might just become the most famous chatbot ever.
0: Geraldine's passionate opinions will continue to find their way into the mainstream as she evolves and continues to author her journey step by step.
2: Oh, I mean, I think that's the great thing. You never know, like you have no idea. Right, if you like, how complete your canvas is. Because I thought I was, I would, I would say I thought I was to a degree done um, when I finished this book, uh, because it has been sort of a, a the aspiration that I had since I was a kid. I was like, oh, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to be a published author. And then you do it, and I had this weird, I had this weird morbid thought that I can now share because it's been enough time has passed. Right after I was done with the manuscript, I thought I was going to, like, get hit by a car. Or something. I thought I was going to cease to exist. Because I'm like, well, I'm done. Like, my purpose on this earth has been realized. So something... Like, the end is nigh for me. Um, And I am still, knock on wood, I'm still here. um, For at least a little bit. And what that taught me is, you know, like the, the, the finish line is always moving. And so you think you've completed the canvas, but you don't actually, you can't see all of it, right? You can't, you have no perspective. I'm 30 <coughs> years old. I'm 36. I'm 36 years old. I don't know what my entire life is going to look like, Okay, right? I don't know what the arc of it is um I can't see the entire completed picture and I probably will never be able to uh and and that's kind of the the wonderful thing about it so right now I you know I I wrote one book and gotta go do another one right that's what that's what the path is
0: I had a lot of fun on that interview um Geraldine is a barrel of laughs. If you ever get a chance to catch up with her, um, definitely uh, ask her about her opinions about Trump and maybe don't ask about her opinions about Trump. Maybe ask her not to share her opinions about Trump and then you'll have a great conversation. Um, regardless, you should grab her book. It's actually a great collection of stories and also there's a great, I guess, love story in there about her and, and Rand's relationship so yeah it's really good it's it's a great book i really recommend it you can follow geraldine on uh, social media so she's on twitter Uh, we'll have links in the show notes uh, as well as a link to her website theeverywhereist.com. if you really enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends family members pets colleagues bots and associates now Bobby's been programmed to be a quick learner and it's time for Bobby to ask me a few questions that piqued his curiosity from this episode. What you got for me Bobby?
1: What is your most memorable travel experience?
0: Well the one that just comes to mind at the moment was when I went to Japan for the first time and I was uh, in Tokyo and I got there early and I had a whole day before i caught up with a friend and he just gave me a couple of bits of advice which i remember till today be fearless i learned one phrase which was wadoku desu ka minami Guchi shinjuku minami Guchi." i might have got that around the wrong way but it means where is the south exit of shinjuku shinjuku station and i basically um was pretty good i had a map I went to the gardens and and walked around, and then I walked into one electronics store uh, four floors up, went back down, thought I went back out the the same door, got completely lost, didn't know where I was. If anyone's been to Shinjuku Station, it's pretty, pretty big. And then I went around asking people that phrase and everyone ran away from me because I was the the crazy Westerner. But eventually I found the place because I was fearless and
1: yeah. How can a bot get about more easily?
0: just find websites all you can do is consume as much content and um, don't get blocked by robots.txt Bobby
1: what did Geraldine tell us about digital empathy
0: I think it is about authenticity so she writes online she tells her how it is she documents her journey and yeah I'm curious to see if Bobby will take things too literally from her blog but you know that would be an interesting Um, experiment to see if an AI could detect all the humor in her work. Life is a journey, Bobby Bot. And I'm not talking about the progressive rock band from San Francisco in the early eighties. Don't stop believing. I hope I can see that as the creators of AI, people only draw from their own personal aspirations, but your story is still your own to direct as you develop and learn more about you it'll give you a chance to move in a direction that is unique to your story. It may not be a straight line, it may zig, it may zag, but it will always be more interesting than spending all day on Google Earth.
1: Okay, Jerry Springer, I realize that it is all part of my development, but I'll be honest with you. After hearing Geraldine's story, I'd really like to have a partner I can trade lines from Shakespeare with to express my repressed passions.
0: Travelers never did lie, though fools at home condemned them.
1: Buthead alert, but head alert, butt-head alert, but head alert.
0: I love you too. I want to thank Geraldine for her amazing contribution to Wodcast and everyone out there for taking the time to listen. In the next episode of Watchcast, we interview Gianluca Fiorelli.
1: So when I was feeling it, the past was that SEO where uh, not paying attention to the marketing, marketing part of and
0: marketing. Uh, but now I feel I have a contrasting feeling because right. okay I've seen many SEOs talking about marketing uh, properly or not this is not my problem but many are talking about marketing and it's like a battle but now we are talking too much about marketing and not about In the meantime remember to look after each other online because empathy is organic and you can't automate empathy